Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. God, I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use, that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray Amen. And our Bible confession goes like this. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person that God has created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God, and it shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we previously spoke about an internal conflict that Paul is having with the flesh, and he describes that conflict in Romans chapter 7. At some point in Romans 7, Paul pins these words. Reading out of Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 23 in the easy-to-read version, Paul says, In my mind I am happy with God's law, but I, have, but I see another law working in my body, that law makes war against the law in my mind, the law that my mind accepts. That other law working in my body is the law of sin, and that law makes me its prisoner. Paul explains here that, you know what, I typically know what's right and wrong. I typically can see the difference between good and bad. However, this thing in me called the flesh is strong. And more often than not, it tends to take control. As we consider the flesh and we consider its inclinations, the book of 1 John provides us with some interesting insights. According to John, the flesh sets its sights or its passions on worldly things. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, this time coming out of the Amplified Classic. John says, Do not love or cherish the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to these things, it says, the lust of the flesh craving for sensual gratification and the lust of the eyes, greedy longings of the mind, and the pride of life 
assurance in one's own resources or in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world itself. Assuredly, the flesh, that carnal nature that resides on the inside of us, that thing, that innate part of our souls is a formidable opponent. And it's a very formidable opponent, formidable opponent specifically to our will. Mere willpower is insufficient to defeat or gain victory over the flesh. Likewise, when you think about all the things that we can do as believers, specifically when we learn about God and we fill our heads with all types of things from his word, head knowledge alone is not enough to secure victory against the flesh. It's not enough to defeat it. You can't attain victory against the flesh strictly about what, by what you know inside your head. Defeating the flesh requires more than mental assent. Defeating the flesh requires the help of the Holy Spirit. To reinforce that thought, we introduced last session a scenario a scenario of a believer, yes, a believer, who is battling alcoholism. I'm going to ask you to take another look at this image. In short, keep in mind that the person that is battling this condition, he or she wants to be free from the bondage of alcohol. And they are well aware of all the different practical steps and the different aspects that come along with no longer being an alcoholic. They're familiar with the steps. They know them better than you. They know that a major step is, quite frankly, don't drink any more alcohol. It goes a little deeper, though. They know that they shouldn't purchase alcohol anymore. They know that they should not allow any liquor in their home. They know that they should stay away from bars or purse places that sell alcohol. They know they should distance themselves from acquaintances who are enablers. They know about ha having an accountability person, someone they can call when they get weak. They know all these things. They have the will to stop. Their wish, their desire is to stop. But you know what? Their flesh overpowers their will. And the flesh drives them to take that drink. The flesh overpowers their will and the flesh drives them to take that drink because, quite frankly, the flesh doesn't care nothing about his or her willpower. The flesh doesn't care anything about what they want. And guess what? Your flesh doesn't care anything about what you want. The flesh only cares about itself. It only thinks about itself. The flesh only thinks about what it wants. It doesn't care what you want. It doesn't care what you like. It doesn't care what you think about it. The flesh thinks only about itself. It thinks only about what it wants. When Paul is talking to the Romans or writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, listen to what he says. Listen to what Paul mentions about the flesh. In the easy-to-read version, starting in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, 
Where we want to get to is the beginning of verse 5, but starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. So now anyone who is in Christ Jesus is not judged guilty. That is because that is because in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit that brings life made you free. It made you free from the law that brings sin and death. The law was without power because it was made weak by our sinful selves. But God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son to earth with the same human life that everyone else uses for sin. God sent him to be an offering to pay for sin. So God used a human life to destroy sin. He did this so that we could be right just as the law said we must be. Now we don't live following our sinful selves. We live following the spirit. And the beginning part of verse five says this, people who live following their sinful selves think only about what they want. Once again, as noted here, a person's sinful self, their sinful nature, their flesh thinks only about what it wants. Think back on our alcoholism example. And this time, let us overlay atop of it several more scenarios. As you take a look at this image, I want you to also recognize that along with these examples, I am presenting to you what I call flesh zones. There are three of them. These zones represent ways that your flesh can, you know, get stirred up. It can get revved up. It can, it can begin to go on the prowl. Those three zones are this, starting with the top. Your flesh can just want it. And we're talking about wanting something physically, like you can have a craving or you can be having withdrawals. Your flesh can just want it. The second zone, your flesh can see it. It can see it and that seeing it can strike up a visual interest and your face can your flesh can embrace it. Notice the distinction between embracing it and wanting it. Embracing it, I'm talking more about an emotional rush or an emotional interest, a feeling, a, a comfort in a certain status. Your flesh can just embrace it. We have here four scenarios, the first of which alcohol or alcoholism is one that we've already discussed. But because we've discussed it, it's the perfect one to do an initial walkthrough through these three zones, and then we'll come back and deal with the other ones. You see, when you're talking about alcoholism and you're talking about your flesh and the things that your flesh can demand, your flesh can just want that thing. It can have a craving for it. It can be having withdrawals because you haven't given it to it to it in a while. It can just want it. It can also see it. You can see the bottle. You can see the can. You can see it and that can stir your flesh up. You can also embrace it. 
A person can embrace it as a status thing because your friends do it. Because, hey, I just turned 21 or whatever the age is and I can buy it. So, hey, that gives me a little chip on my shoulder. It can be something that, hey, just calms your nerves. You embrace it. What about these others? I have smoking or vaping. Once again, you could want it. You could have a physical craving or withdrawal for the chemical within, within inside of that, that activity. You can see it. You can see the cigarette. You can see the pipe. You can see the cigar. You can see the, you can see the vape, vaping device. Embracing it. Hey, smoking can make you feel grown. Smoking can make you feel like a part of the crowd. Smoking, in particular, you know, that smoke and that cigar, that has been socialized or put out there in the world as something you do when you're successful. You close that business deal and what do you do? You sit out there with your buddies and you have a cigar. And smoking cigars is not just for guys, by the way. In this day and time, women smoke them too. But you can embrace that thing. What about this little term I have here? Hanky-panky. You know I'm always trying to keep things rated G, but you know exactly what that means. Hanky-panky. You can want that thing. Yes, you can want it. As much as we want to try to be good in our Christian thinking, quite frankly, your body can crave that activity. Tell the truth. It can. You can see it. What do I mean? You can see her from a distance. You can see him from a distance. You can see what you like, the way they're built, the way they walk, the way they smoke. You can see that thing and you could have a desire for it. Yeah, that falls in the flesh zone. What about embracing it? You can just have a burning desire to be emotionally close to him or emotionally close to her. It can be a status that you just want to be close to that person, not because you really care for them, but because of their status can get you somewhere else. So you embrace the company. Their presence can also be your security. Their presence in your life can also be the anchor to your self-esteem. Yeah. All of that falls into a flesh zone. What about, what about this last one? Business or financial success. Hey, guess what? You can have a craving for the rush to just be in the game. You just like the exchange. There is something that happens to you physically as you're trying to build that business or you're trying to close that deal. You can just want it. You can see it. And by seeing it, I mean seeing the things that you want to have that you know, you want money for. They don't just give away houses and cars and, and boats and nice clothes. Generally, that's never, that, that, that doesn't happen in the world. You have to make an exchange of currency for those things. And because what you want, the level that you want it, the style that you want it, costs money and a significant amount of it, 
you see it and that drives you to do what you have to do to get it, that's a flesh zone. What about embracing it? Well, you could just embrace the success. You want to be the top dog. You want to be known and recognized for being number one in your field. Number one in what you do. Also, the revenue and the prestige that comes from it, you can embrace that because if you make a lot of money, that money can be your security. Having those assets available to you, that can be something that gives you comfort. Once again, alcoholism, smoking or vaping, hanky-panky, business or financial success, we can put all this in what, what I call one of three of these flesh zones. It could be in all of them at the same time or just one. The flesh doesn't care. It just, once it gets in one, the flesh wants it. For the record, when we talk about business or financial success, I want you to know there is nothing wrong with wanting, wanting your business to be successful. There is nothing wrong with wanting to have financial success. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have the funds or the assets or the contacts or the network that allows you to take care of your wants and your needs and those of your family and your friends. There is absolutely positively nothing wrong with that. Hey, I want that from my own life. I want to be successful in what I do. No one sets out to do anything to be unsuccessful at it. The point is, when it comes to business or financial success or anything else that you pursue in this world, you should not place those pursuits above God. Always keep God first. So for the record, nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. But we know where we keep our attention at number one. All of these flesh zones kind of get to the point of, listen, the message I want to get to you is that the flesh is strong. The flesh is nothing to play with. The flesh is not a pushover. The flesh is such that Paul coins a term that he calls the dictates of the flesh. When we think about that word dictates, That word, when you look at it, it is only two letters away from another word, the noun dictator. Those words share the same root. And if you were to dig into the root of the word dictate, in particular its verb form, here are some of the things that you would find. Dictate has in its root the word command. It has in its root declare. It has in its root prescribe with authority. So when you look at that thing and you think about a dictator, a dictator is something or a noun or, or a person that gives the sense of having absolute or unlimited power. 
Yeah. A dictator doesn't make requests. A dictator, when a dictator wants something, <laughs> let me show you what it does. Notice the image. When a dictator wants something, it issues commands. A dictator makes demands. A dictator gives order, orders, puts its foot down, lays down the law, calls the shots. A dictator imposes its will. When a dictator wants something, a dictator forces the issue. That is the flesh. The flesh is not in the business of making suggestions. The flesh doesn't make gentle suggestions. The flesh doesn't say pretty please. The flesh doesn't say if you don't mind if you had a time. The flesh does not like its, its demands, its, its, its orders, its commands. It doesn't like that stuff being put on the back burner. The flesh doesn't like being pushed to the side. The flesh expects its demands to be met. And guess what? It expects its demands to be met right now. We say we say a prayer every time we get started and we can flip those same words and apply it to the flesh. When the flesh wants something, it doesn't want it a year from now. It doesn't want it a month from now. It doesn't want it a week from now. It doesn't want it a day from now. A flesh wants what it wants, and it wants it immediately. It doesn't want you to put it off. It doesn't want you to say, hold up, wait a minute, I'll get to you later. A flesh demand is like a dictator's demand. Why? Because that's the flesh. The flesh is a dictator. Family, what I'm trying to get you to see is that you have a dictator living on the inside of you. The flesh in you is strong because inside of you it is making demands. It is a dictator. I want you to look at this next image. You know, I've walked you through flesh zones, as I called them, things that I've created and put before you. But, you know, the Bible puts what I can call flesh zones or, or regions that the flesh can get stirred up in. The Bible identifies three of its own. And it gets identified in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. We've touched on this in the Amplify Classic, and there are other versions or translations out there as well. But when we talk about wanting to look at something that provides a glimpse at what prompts the flesh to demand you take an action, we have an excerpt of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 from the King James Version. And then we have the full version from the Message Bible. The King James Version, if you've been in church for any length of time or read your, read your Bible for any length of time, especially the King James Version, it'll sound familiar to you. 
this excerpt, basically, the, the, the author is saying, for all that is in the world, three items. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We want to read that in its entirety, though, out of the message version of the Bible. Because I just like the way the words, you know, kind of, well, just kind of like plain talk. We're going to start right here, right at verse 16. It says, Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear, appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. Go back to the image. When you look at the image, notice the pairings. The King James Version says, lust of the flesh. The message translation is, that means you, you're wanting your own way. The King James says, lust of the eyes. The message, wanting everything for yourself. King James says, the pride of life. <laughs> the message, wanting to appear important. Now, I want you to focus in on that image. Because from that image, we're going to take a moment to expound on these three items here. Expound in a way that when we're done, as always, we want you to see yourself there. Because once you see yourself there, we can begin to make progress towards the change that we want. When you see those, I'm going to call it those flesh zones, right there, all of those zones are in plain sight in the life of a child. Oh, yeah. When you're thinking about a child, I want you to realize that all of that stuff up there, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, all of those things play out or are manifested clearly and plainly when a child throws a tantrum. We also call that a temper tantrum. But when a child throws a tantrum, all of those things are evident. Think about it. When a child throws a tantrum, it's because of one of those three reasons. A child can throw a tantrum because he or she wants things their own way. You have them at the table, and it's time for them to eat that macaroni and cheese and green beans, but they want a cookie. It's time for them to eat, you know, the rice and chicken that you've prepared, but they want a donut. You want them to drink water, so you put water in that sippy cup, and they throw that cup back at you because they want Kool-Aid. They're having a tantrum 
Why? Because they want things their own way. What about this next one? Wanting everything for yourself. Have you ever seen a child with a room full of toys and then another child gets introduced in their space and although the child that, that lives there only has two hands and can only play with one thing at a time, what happens? That child says, mine. Everything that other child picks up, no, mine. The child tries to pick up a car, no, mine. Tries to pick up a doll, no, mine. Tries to go and pick up a ball, no, mine. And before you know it, the child that lives there, the resident, the one that owns, quote unquote, owns the stuff, their parent bought everything, but they quote unquote owns the stuff, now they're walking around carrying a blanket, a ball, two trucks, trying to hold on to a doll, Everything is falling out of their hands. Why? Because they don't want nobody else to play with it. They want it all for themselves. They're throwing a tantrum. Mine. Wanting to appear important. The child wants you to put all your attention on them. They want to be center stage. What is that? They want to be important. They don't want nothing else in, in, their, in blocking them from being the gleam in your eye. All of those things are evident in the life of a child. And technically speaking, well, all of our examples apply to an infant or toddler. Practically speaking, though, guess what? You don't have to be a child to act like a child. You don't have to be a baby to act like a baby. You can be 18, 25, 33, 44, 57, 69, 82. You can be full grown, but not act like a grown up. Yeah, you can be a childish adult. What I'm getting at is throwing a tantrum is not something that's unique to children. Adults throw tantrums too. And adults throw tantrums, why? Well, go back to the image. They throw tantrums, why? Because they want their own way. An adult will throw a tantrum because they want everything for themselves. They can throw a tantrum because they want to appear important. Now, just because you don't put yourself on the ground and fling yourself on the ground and flail your hands around and kick and scream and, and do all, that th all those things you see a child do, it don't mean that you're not throwing a tantrum just because you don't do that. Just because you don't have the same outward display as a child when a child throws a tantrum, it does not mean that you are not throwing a tantrum. Let me give you my definition of a tantrum. You can go out there and you can find medical or scientific or psychological definitions, whatever you want to call it. But this is what I boil a tantrum down to. A tantrum is an anger-driven emotional explosion resulting from one's dislike of the actions or personal views of another. Straight up, you throw a tantrum because you get mad. 
Mad why? You get mad because, number one, look, you want it your own way, and that person did not help you or support you in what you wanted your own way about. So you got mad and you threw a tantrum. You got mad because you wanted everything for yourself, and that person's view was that they were not going to support that, they were not going to help you get everything for yourself, and you threw a tantrum. Yeah, you want to fear important? You wanted to feel important, and that person or those persons did not support you in that. They didn't let it happen. You wanted them to put you on some kind of pedestal. You wanted them to blow your head up. You wanted them to say you were the greatest thing since sliced bread. You wanted them to say you were number one. You were the only one. You wanted to be in such a position of status that you felt important, and they didn't do that. And you know what? You got mad, and you threw a tantrum. They challenged your flesh, and the dictator in you got mad. In case you want a couple of references of how an adult tantrum looks, how an adult tantrum sounds, here are a few. Adult tantrums look and sound like you going through your house, slamming kitchen cabinets, and slamming bedroom doors. That's a tantrum. They look and sound like you grabbing your car keys off the kitchen counter, storming out angry, jumping in your vehicle, and peeling out of the driveway. That's a tantrum. Check this out. A tantrum looks like you giving that person the silent treatment for days. Yeah, that's a tantrum. That's an emotional response driven by your dislike of what that person did or that person's view. It's a tantrum. It's an adult tantrum, but it's a tantrum. <laughs> what about this one? A tantrum looks and sounds like you putting your spouse in no nookie jail. That's a real place. I've been there. It's not a fun place to be. Not a lot of light there. Not a lot of things to get comfortable with there. You don't get a lot of visitation there. Oh, it's a real place. They don't give you much nutrition. They don't give you enough to, uh, uh, much to strive for. They just give you enough light and enough air and enough things to feed on so that you can sit there and think about what you've done to get yourself there. No nookie jail is a real place. And you put your spouse, spouse there. Why? Because you're upset that, whoa, you want it your own way and they didn't let that happen. You wanted everything for yourself or they didn't let it happen. You want to do appear important and they didn't let it happen. One of those three things apply and you know what? Your response, that no nookie jail sentence, that's a tantrum. Here's another adult tantrum. You breaking your promise out of spite. Hmm. You know, you told her that you would go to her graduation. 
And now, because, you know, you wanted your own way and she didn't get along with it. You wanted everything for yourself and she didn't go along with it. You wanted to appear important and she didn't go along with it. Now you decide, you know what, I ain't going. So how, are you going to let her know you're not going? No, I'm not. She will know that I'm not going when she looks for me in the stands and see I'm not there. That's a tantrum. You told your wife that you would gas up her car before tomorrow. You know that she has to get up in the morning, in the morning, and drive to the airport. Are you still going to gas the car up? No, I'm not. Are you going to tell her? No, I'm not. She will find out when she wakes up and gets in her car in the morning. That's a tantrum. You promise your husband that you would pick up his dry cleaning. You know he needs that shirt. He needs those slacks. He needs that suit. He needs the, that gear, those clothing items. He needs that for a sensitive, special meeting or appointment that he has the next day. Are you going to still get his dry cleaning? No, I'm not going to get it. He can get his own dry cleaning. Are you going to tell him? No, I'm not. If he wants it, he can go pick it up himself. And while he's there, he can see how much it costs to get his dry clean, to dry clean that attitude of his as well. That's a tantrum. What about this one? You promised that couple that you would babysit while they went out for their anniversary dinner. Well, somehow you wanted your own way, and you know what? They didn't support it. You wanted everything for yourself, and you know what? They didn't get with the program. You wanted to appear important, and they didn't see why that was such a big deal. Now you're not going to babysit. Do you care? No, I don't care. They can find somebody else. They can take care of their own kids. As far as I'm concerned, they have one or two choices. They can find somebody else, they can stay home, or they can bump that reservation up from a reservation of, for two to a reservation for five. I don't care, I'm not doing it. That is a decision that you made out of spite. That is a tantrum. Not going to the graduation out of spite, tantrum. Not picking up that dry cleaning out of spite, tantrum. Not gassing up that car out of spite, tantrum. Not babysitting out of spite, tantrum. Oh yeah, adults have tantrums. A tantrum is a trademark of someone who's being governed by the flesh. And those tantrums have happened because why? <laughs> the flesh wants what it wants. It wants its own way. It wants everything for itself. It wants to appear important. The flesh don't care nothing about what you want. It wants what it wants. Loved ones, the flesh is a controller at heart. Because it is a controller at heart, its objective should not be surprising. It wants control. Notice this image. Whenever you think about the flesh, and we pan back from the flesh, 
and we just think about something in general, a thing. You know, a noun is a person, place, or thing. So a thing. If you observe a thing and you observe it long enough, you will come to realize something very real about that thing's actions or tendencies. Something living, I'm saying. Notice these two statements. They're very similar. But they have to deal with the tendencies or the actions of a thing. Here's the first one. A thing's actions tend to fulfill its strongest urge. Isn't that true? <laughs> Notice this other one. A thing's tendencies align with its nature. Many of you, I'm, I'm assuming that you've heard this, at least there's a fable as a child that I grew up hearing. I'm going to share it with you in case you haven't. It only takes a couple minutes to tell it. But it's the fable of the scorpion and the frog. Here's how the fable goes. There's a scorpion that wants to cross the river, but the scorpion can't swim. If the scorpion tries to cross the river, the scorpion will guess what? The scorpion will drown. So the scorpion reaches over, looks over, and sees the frog, and he says, hey, bro, can you let me get on your back and you swim across river because I, the river because I want to get to the other side? The frog says, are you kidding me? I know who you are. I, 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 you're, you're, you're the scorpion. The moment I put you on my back, you're going to sting me. And once you sting me, I am doomed. And the scorpion says, listen, think about what you're saying. That doesn't make any sense. If I get you to take me across the river, and when we get in the river, if I sting you, then we both perish. Why in the world would I do that? The frog thinks about that thing. It makes logical sense. After a couple of moments of pondering it over, he says, you know what? I'll be the bigger person, and yes, hop on my back and let's go across river. Halfway across the river, the frog's doing his best froggy stroke. All of a sudden, he feels a pain in his back. The scorpion stings him. As the poison in the frog's body begins to slow the frog up and the frog begins to sink, the frog musters up the energy and the strength to look back at the scorpion and say, why did you do that? Now we're both going to perish. The scorpion's response right before they go under is, I couldn't help it. It's just my nature. When we're talking about the flesh, the flesh is a controller at heart. The nature of the flesh is to be controlling. No matter how much willpower you try to put on it, no, much, no matter how much you want to try to curb it, no matter how much you want to try to train it, no matter how much you want to try to make it something cute and cuddly, the flesh in its nature is a dictator and it wants what it wants. 
It's a controller at heart, which means that its objective is to control you. I want you to look at the essence and tendencies, the essence, actions, or tendencies of, of something else. Because the flesh being a controller at heart and wanting to control you, it, it, we could say quite frankly that the flesh is controlling by na nature or being controlling is its nature. Notice this next image. When we think about something's nature, something's nature, I want you to notice these relationships that I'm showing you. They are relationships between essence and actions or tendencies of a thing. When you think about a person who is a teacher at heart, that very first one, it doesn't surprise you that a teacher at heart wants to teach. My daughter is a teacher at heart. No matter where she goes, no matter what circle she's in, eventually she will begin to teach somebody something. Because she's a teacher at heart. She loves to give instructions, not in a boastful way, but she likes to see people learn. She likes to see people grow. That's what makes her a great elementary school teacher. A teacher at heart wants to teach. What about this next one? A cook at heart wants to cook. Growing up around so many grandmothers and, and aunts and, and, and folks that just love cooking, listen, my grandma, you could put her in a room with some cornflakes and a couple cans of beans and some flour, and before you know it, she got that place smelling good. I don't know how she did it, but she's a cook at heart. And a cook at heart will find a way, given whatever ingredients they have at their disposal, whatever food items are there, they will find a way to make a meal out of it. Why? Because a cook at heart just wants to cook. A parent at heart wants to parent. You can always identify in a room full of people who are the parents at heart. You can have a room full of people standing around, talking, chatting, eating, drinking, and you would have children running here and there everywhere. Nobody's paying them attention, but that parent in the crowd, that person who's a parent at heart, they're watching to make sure the children aren't going in the street, that no one's exiting the wrong door. They observe someone choking when no one else observed them choking because the parent at heart always wants to parent. They're always wanting to give that child the right direction for their life. They're wanting to support their dreams in a positive way. A parent at heart, it doesn't surprise you that that, parent want, that person wants to parent. The last one up there, a giver at heart wants to give. You can't stop a giver from giving. A person who's a giver at heart, giving is just what they do. You can take a giver and strip that giver of everything they have materially 
and that giver will give of themselves. They'll give their time. They'll give their wisdom. They'll give their insight. Why? Because a giver at heart, you cannot stop a giver at heart from giving. Just like a teacher at heart wants to teach and a cook at heart wants to cook and a parent at heart wants to parent and a giver at heart wants to give, the flesh is a controller at heart. And guess what? It wants to control. Why? Because being controlling, once again, family, that's his nature. Because the flesh is a controller, its objective is to control you. Moreover, that flesh recognizes that the mind is a pivotal stronghold in this war for control. The mind in your, the mind in your head, it recognizes that if it can put a stronghold in that location, that it's, it's a tactical goal mine. Basically, the flesh discerns that is, its success in this war, it hinges on dominating your thought life. For that reason, a fundamental tactic of the flesh is to force its desires to the forefront of your mind. Where does that leave us as believers, though? As believers, knowing that the flesh has this tactic, our primary, principal, preeminent, effective counterstrike is to introduce or inject the mind of the Holy Spirit into this battle for control. Paul notes a benefit from the Holy Spirit leading one's thinking. Now, we've already done Romans chapter 8 up to the beginning of verse 5, but this time, let's read all of verse 5 through verse 6. Easy to read version. Paul says, people who live following their sinful selves think only about what they want. Here's the part. But those who live following the Spirit are thinking about what the Spirit wants them to do. Isn't that good? If your thinking is controlled by your sinful self, there is spiritual death. But if your thinking is controlled by the spirit, <laughs> there is life and peace. Family, a spirit controlled thought life leads to life and peace. Just viewing those three words, life and peace, makes it obvious that the mind of the Holy Spirit is an essential part of our arsenal in this war for control, for control of you, of who? For control of you. 
and in my case, for control of me. The mind of the Holy Spirit is pivotal in this war. Paul says once again, if your thinking is controlled by the Spirit, there is life and peace. And having your life, your thinking, your thought life be controlled by the Spirit comes from injecting the mind of the Holy Spirit in all that you do. That leads us to a question. And that question is, given that the mind of the Holy Spirit is that important, Pastor, what is the mind of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> that is a good question. And I look forward to exploring the answer to that question with you real soon. For now, I'll just say I love you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person here God, they have more than just you on their mind. They have a desire to have you reign and rule in their heart. Oh yeah, we acknowledge that this, this opponent on the inside, the flesh, with its dictates, we acknowledge that it wants what it wants. We also acknowledge that, as Paul mentions, that we, we can't deal with this flesh, not on our own, not the way it makes dictates, not the way it throws a tantrum, not the way it just has no regard for who we are. Mm-mm. It's so interesting. Interesting to me that we have on the inside of us <laughs> two opposing forces. We have the desires of our flesh and we have our renewed spirit. God, my prayer is that those who are under the sound of my voice, that they pursue you. Oh yeah, we don't want that flesh to win. You have called us to live a life that's befitting your children. And that's the life we want to live. So the flesh can make its dictates. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, yeah, we got something for it.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.